Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 264, and tonight is a big day because we are beginning a new chapter at last. It is time for a journey in the dark. We have finished the ring. We've been going south for a long, long time, um, but we have now fled from Karathras, yea, even from his very knees, and we are preparing to begin deliberations again. So we talked a, a good deal about Gandalf and Aragorn's discussions about this before. We've been looking at some sort of questions of, uh, of party dynamics in the Fellowship. And I'm looking forward now to uh, uh, discussing together the resumed del deliberations here on the... Uh, uh, on the... Well, I was about to say... On the far side of Karathras from a textual standpoint, but of course still on the near side of Karathras um, from a geographical standpoint. And there's um, <laughs> and there's the rub. Um, okay, so uh, before we get into our discussion today, uh, a couple quick announcements. First, uh, this weekend is our next moot, our next conference. I'm going to, um, or we're having Maple Moot, our first ever Canadian conference this weekend uh, in Toronto at the University of Toronto. Um, there is still time to sign up and join us if you would, either if you can make it in person um, or if you would like to uh, uh, attend remotely. Um, so we are, uh, uh, I am uh, excited um, to uh, uh, be there in Canada. I've never been to Toronto before. I've uh, been to Canada many times uh, as a New Hampshire resident for a long time. I, uh, uh, I love going up to Canada, um, but um, I am, uh, but I've never been to Toronto, actually. Montreal, several times, Quebec City, um, you know, out in the maritime provinces, out to Ottawa, but I've never been to Toronto. Um, Vancouver, I've been lots of places in Canada, just not Toronto. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Dan, so glad you're going to be able to join us. That's going to be it's gonna be fun. Look forward to, uh, to seeing you guys this weekend. Um, that'll be cool. So, uh, so yeah, so that's going to happen this weekend. Uh, lots of great presentations scheduled. Um, I'm planning to talk more about the whole... Uh, phono aesthetic soundscape concept, uh, and uh, do a little bit of um, of experimentation, exploration of that theory uh, at the uh, uh, during the during the the moot on Saturday. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, that's what's happening this weekend. A thing that's happening the weekend after that that I wanted to make sure to draw your attention to is the May showcase for space. Uh, so on Saturday, May twenty seventh. Uh, there is going to be a space showcase that's going to be running throughout the day. Um, what's happening is we're doing a number of short space capsules. So, of course, our space program, uh, these are, uh, you know, month-long modules on all kinds of things that you might want to learn about. Uh, and you know, I've talked about our space program many times before. Many of you are involved Um in fact, it's really fun. Many of you, um, there. I know that there are some of you who have been um, 
uh, taking space modules, and I have noticed an increasing number of you guys who have begun teaching faith uh, space modules, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so. Uh, what's happening here is we're doing it all, you know, during the course of the of the whole day, uh, we're going to be doing, you know, from uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, Eastern time uh, through 530 in the evening, uh, uh, Eastern time. We're going to be doing a series of little mini space courses, which we're calling, which we call space capsules. Uh, they're each of them half an hour long. Um, they're a little introduction to the topic. They're not just lectures. This, these are actual space capsules. So this is these are these are actual interact interactive class sessions with some of our space faculty uh on a whole bunch of topics. Um yes, Sarah exactly. They're 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 tasters uh of space classes. Um and it's all available for free. The thing I want to draw your attention to. So here on Blackberry, um, you can see in the uh, uh, in the space thing, uh, the space section of Blackberry, uh, the announcement of the showcase. And on here, there's a registration link where you can register for the showcase. If you want, if you, if you would like to take part, if you would like to, to to participate in any of these discussions, you can still do that. Um, so you can go in and you can um, uh, choose in the registration form, choose which any or indeed all of the space capsules that you would like to participate in. Um, as you can see, we've got everything from uh, a teaser of James Tauber's uh, History of Middle Earth before the War of the Rings. We've got um, uh, he's going to be beginning the um, he's going to be beginning the the. History of the Lord of the Rings pretty soon uh, in uh, in in June, so that's going to be great fun. Uh, we've got uh, uh, you could be start learning Japanese, intro to classical mythology. We've got um, creative writing modules. We've got new better do better leading a leading a, a module a capsule rather on the realm of Arnor. We have. Um, uh, on capsules on Dune, on H.P. Lovecraft, on linguistics, all kinds of things. So I just want to invite you to check out this list, uh, see if you would like to participate in any of these. This event is not going to be recorded, um, so you can... Um, there will be an opportunity if you would like to just you know if you if you would if you if you don't want to participate in the class but you just like to watch, uh, you can do that. Um, but um, but for now the emphasis is on getting people to you know uh, who would like to register who would like to participate uh, in this. So um, anyway, I would um, uh, just encourage you to register for this is going to be a lot of fun again. Saturday, May 27th is the day of this. So uh, check this out here and you should be able to um, um, again, go to uh, space.signumuniversity.org or go to blackberry.signumuniversity.org and go to the space section and you'll be able to find this. So, um, all right. Cool. Scott says, my wife is absolutely loving her space experience. She's still in her first module and already signed up for more. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's um, uh, space is just so much fun. Uh, I have been uh, uh, loving space. My family loves space. I've got um, a parent and kids <laughs> and uh, uh, siblings and stuff taking space uh, uh, modules. Um, 
They are they are fantastic. Um, so anyway, I encourage you to. This is a great way to just kind of get a taste of what space is like. And so you can reach out. Uh, uh, you can reach out by email if you have questions. And uh, Jenny Goslin here, uh, whose picture is at the bottom, will respond to you and answer your questions. Um, so just wanted to make sure on the twenty seventh that is happening. I'll have more links and stuff for next week, but. Um, Wanted to put that on your radar screen. Share the share the word about that. We'd love for people to be able to, to see what uh, what space is all about. All right. Are you ready? Here it comes. It was evening, and the gray light was again waning fast when they halted for the night. They were very weary. The mountains were veiled in deepening dusk, and the wind was cold. Gandalf spared them one more mouthful each of the Miravore of Rivendell. When they had eaten some food, he had called a council. "'We cannot, of course, go on again tonight,' he said. "'The attack on the Redhorn Gate has tired us out, and we must rest here for a while.' "'And then where are we to go?' asked Frodo. "'We still have our journey and our errand before us,' answered Gandalf. "'We have no choice but to go on or to return to Rivendell.'" Okay. Um, first, did you? once you notice it, you can't unhear it, Right? Um, the, 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 the alliteration, I mean, like once you notice it, you can't, and did you hear it? I'm sure you guys heard it, right? Were you noticing that too? Um, not only things like deepening dusk and more mouthful of Miravore, um, but even the repeated, uh, the, like the first half, especially of that, uh, paragraph seemed to be, um, brought to us by the letter W, right? Um, waning, win, were, weary, wind. Um, yeah, which then kind of... And then when they had eaten some food again at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yep. Um, okay, anyhow... Um, So we're going to we're not going to get a I see several of you wanting to talk to um uh to talk about returning to Rivendell. Uh weirdness, welcome by the way. Weirdness unfolds just caught up with us. Congratulations. Um would it be that bad to go back to Rivendell? That is an interesting question. Let's talk about that next time because of course he mentions it here and then they're going to they're like next slide we're going to we're going to talk about that and sort of focus uh, focus on that question as of course they're going to they're going to follow up on that what gandalf uh is clearly doing right is laying out the two logical possibilities right there's really only two things either they go on or they go back I mean, that's those are the only theoretical possibilities. Either we find, um, and it does seem Aranas, uh, like a setup in order to discard it as an option. Um, I agree. Clearly his message is we have no choice but to go on, right? Um, Gandalf, the one thing I would point out here is that it seems fairly clear that Gandalf is being pretty gentle in how he is approaching this question. Um, I don't, yeah, he is saying, remember he and Aragorn agreed to try Carothros, 
because they agreed that Moria and Karathras were the only two viable options, though Aragorn didn't consider Moria an exceptionally viable option. Um, but, um, uh, but in any case, uh, as we've already discussed, and they've already discussed, and as um, uh, we will discuss again soon, the Gap of Rohan, not really an option. Um, so where are they going to go? So, I mean, I, he, I think the argument that Gandalf seems to be setting up is we only really have one choice. Um, and yeah, that seems to be the way he is going to contextualize uh, the idea of going uh, through to Moria. Um, but um, anyway, the question of like, is return to Rivendell a viable choice or not? We will, we will come back to that. Um, um, but, um, okay. I'm going to go back to the first paragraph. No, I don't. We were talking, we're talking about Gandalf now. Let's keep talking about Gandalf. Um, notice how he begins. We cannot, of course, go on again tonight. So the very first thing is he presents them with a choice which is not a choice, right? So choice number one, do we keep walking right now? Or you know, do we take a short rest and then keep walking? We cannot, of course, go on again tonight. You see why he's saying that? Because remember, they were traveling by night, continuously. Uh, so their normal practice has been to rest and hide during the day and to travel at night on account of the birds and such, right, uh, to, 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 to hide themselves. We just were looking last time at how Gandalf was saying it, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's all, it's all moot at this point, right? Um, so he is here, ex so addressing, he seems to be addressing perhaps something like a, um, um, something like a, a assumption, Right on people's part, like sort of clarifying. Um, we're gonna do the thing which is unlike anything that we've been doing, you know, for the last uh, uh, for the last several weeks, and that is, uh, we're we're not gonna travel by night. Um, we can't travel tonight. Uh, we must rest here for a while. The attack on the Redhorn Gate has tired us out. Now, uh, a couple of you were pointing out it is really interesting that he characterizes their attempt to cross the mountains through the Redhorn Gate as an attack on the Redhorn Gate. Um, he doesn't name Karathras, or at least doesn't use that name. I mean, Redhorn is Karathras, right? I mean, that's... that's. Uh, um, but by saying the Redhorn Gate, he's talking about the pass, right? He doesn't characterize this as a... He doesn't say, we fought the mountain and the mountain won, right? He almost says that. He says something kind of like that. Um, but um, uh, um, but he doesn't quite say that, right? Um, nevertheless, his characterization of it as an attack uh, 
does seem to me to acknowledge the fact that they are just coming out of a battle, right? They're not facing only, you know, sleep deprivation or, you know, whatever. Uh, Aspen says, has Gandalf been over the past before? <sighs> On the one hand, I don't believe we've been told that explicitly. Um, uh, but um, it's hard to imagine he hasn't. I mean, it's the... If you're going to or from Lorien across the mountains, like especially if you're going between Lorien and Rivendell, it's the obvious way to go. Um, and I can't... It's, it's very difficult for me to imagine a scenario in which Gandalf would never, ever have crossed the Redhorn Pass in the, you know, couple millennia he's been active and wandering around these regions. So he must have done, right? He must have done. Um... Yeah. Um, right, he's only been through Moria once, Drosnik. Yeah, that's certainly that's certainly true. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me about his metaphor of the attack is that this is a change in Gandalf. Remember how Gandalf talked before they got up the mountain, right? Before they started. Um, he was kind of... He was not... He was definitely not talking about it as an attack on some being or other, right? He wasn't characterizing it as a fight against the mountain. Um, remember, he was saying things like, the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any, right? Uh which makes it sound, how do I want to say, uh, neutral, inert, right? I mean, like it's, um, of all of the dangers that we fear, the worst danger might just be the weather, not a thing making the weather try to kill us, right? But just like how the weather happens to be, right? Um, because he was talking about how it looked like snow. Um, now, he doesn't talk that way anymore. He doesn't just talk about the weather. He talks about their attempt to cross the gate as an attack. Um, and, you know, the, the, their attack has tired us out. They, they attacked, and it failed. Um, yeah. Now, Aspen, I agree... Um, this time was an attack. What was different this time from all other times? Um, again, what I would emphasize is the difference in how he talks about it before and how he talks about it afterwards. Whether, uh, you know, whether, I mean, whether it was that before they went, he was anticipating that Karathras, the entity, uh, might give them trouble, might attack them, and try to trap and or kill them, or at least obstruct them. Um, but he didn't want to alarm them. So he was just like, oh, tee-hee, looks like snow. Let's see, you know, I'm a little concerned, but we'll see what, what happens. Right? And he didn't talk in those terms. He didn't um, say anything directly to suggest that uh, 
it's not just the weather that might prove a more deadly enemy than any, but the mountain might prove a more deadly enemy than any. Um, he doesn't talk like that before. Was that just because he was trying to spare them, that he was hoping it would work out and that, um, you know, they didn't have to go into this with dread and fear thinking of what they were doing as an assault? Um, and I agree, Dan, it is like the Red Horn Gate is an enemy fortification. That does seem to me to be the metaphor. Uh, the attack on the Red Horn Gate would be, is he characterizes it to, like, I, I believe the metaphor is they tried to storm the enemy's wall and got repelled. Um, like this was a defended position that they were trying to attack. Uh, and, you know, and, and they were beaten back by the enemy who was defending that wall. Um, now they all, um, uh, I think, you know, it's come up explicitly, right? Um, Karathras had defeated them. That seems to be, you know, those are our last words of the last paragraph, of the last paragraph, true, um, of the last chapter, which suggest that the company as a whole, right, is now thinking of it in those terms. Um, that they did try a frontal assault on Karathras on the Redhorn Gate, found it in fact to be a defended position, and a defended position that they could not, in fact, uh, take or overcome. Um, and he's now acknowledging that, right? He's acknowledging how they're feeling about it, you know, what, how they're looking at it. Um, his emphasis just on how they're all tired and they must rest here for a while. We cannot go on again tonight. Um, remember, they were all weary before when Gandalf was planning to give them that um, uh, extra time. When the birds showed up, recall, they were going to get a day off. They were going to rest up a bit because they were tired. And they are going to have a hot meal. And, you know, Pippin was really looking forward to that. Uh, something hot. And when the birds came over, Gandalf cancels it, right? The hot meal is canceled. The day off is canceled. And, you know, no fire and a move before and a move at, you know, sundown was the message that was given when everybody wakes up after, you know, the pack of crows goes over. Uh, right. To use Pippin's phrase there. Um, once again, they're tired. Yes. They're tired. But before, the weariness of the company, the weariness, the, you know, uh, they're being weary and cold uh, in uh, need of a nice warm meal. Um, those were not given precedence over their um, need for secrecy. Right when the birds flew over and there was a you know, chance they'd been discovered, they had to press on. Um, you know, Gandalf prioritized that. Right now, he's not prioritizing that. Um, we cannot, of course, go on again tonight. Um, we must rest here for a while. The thing that he's not saying is that 
the secrecy thing, which was the highest priority before. It's done. I mean, I think again we're seeing evidence that Gandalf's own plans, that Gandalf's own priorities are changing. He heavily prioritized secrecy before, and he's not prioritizing secrecy now. Um, because it seems like as a, one of two things is true in saying we're going to sleep the night here, right? We can't go on again tonight. Remember, it's just sunset. You know, it was during the day, um, of course, that they were uh, coming down the mountain, as we were seeing. Um, so it's now only just sunset, which means one of two things must be true. Either they're going to sleep all night and go on during the day tomorrow, or they're going to sleep here tonight and tomorrow during the day and then go on the night afterwards. In other words, have the whole day off thing that they, that got canceled previously, right? Um, they, um, he doesn't say which of those things he's planning. Like he says, we must rest here for a while, but he doesn't say, and Frodo immediately asks, where are we to go? Right. Um, they don't ask when are we, so are we, does that mean we're, we're going to clear out at dawn or are we going to clear out at sunset tomorrow? Are we resting here for 24 hours or are we resting here only until, you know, for less than that, you know, until, until dawn. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that Gandalf doesn't mean to try to travel by night and be secret. Um, he clearly believes that their position is betrayed or at least at significant risk. Um, they have to prioritize speed. And that, I think, is part of why he wants them to rest. They're going to need strength. What we know, remembering ahead, we know what's actually going to happen, right? What's actually going to happen is that they're not only going to be found, they're going to have to fight. And I'm wondering if Gandalf is anticipating that here. Um... And I also wonder if that informs Gandalf's metaphorical structure here. Is he talking about the, uh, an attack on the Redhorn Gate in order to prepare them to think about themselves no longer as sneaky, right? No longer as trying to remain hidden, which has been the top priority before this point. But now, now they're a military unit, right? Um, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, they're going to need strength to make the journey. Um, so yeah, I, I, April, it does seem that they need in some sense to husband their energy because they've lost secrecy, at least in part because they've lost secrecy. Um, notice that it's Frodo who asks the question. And then where are we to go? This is clearly significant. Because Frodo, as far as we know, alone of the company, other than Aragorn, obviously, um, Frodo alone of the company knows what Gandalf and Aragorn said to each other. He has, they, the rest of them don't have any hint as to what the other option might be. Frodo does. And remember that Frodo was dreading, like he was filled with dread at the very sound of the dark and secret way. And he was seriously creeped out by Aragorn's own fear, Aragorn's own reaction to that. And remember his relief when 
he found that the dark and secret way had been abandoned, right? Um, now, Frodo is, I think, asking. I think what he's saying without saying it is, does this mean we're doing the dark and secret way thing, right? He doesn't betray that he heard. He doesn't ask that straight out. But that seems to me to be what's on Frodo's mind. And then where are we to go after we rest here for a while? What course are you going to suggest now? Let's let's hear it. Let's let's have this out. Let's talk about this. Um, exactly, Aspen. That's exactly what I hear, that Frodo is challenging Gandalf to come out with it. Um, I'm not even sure that Gandalf means to have this conversation right now. Um, Gandalf has just has gone no further than we're not going to travel by night, at least not by tonight. Um, we're going to stay and we're going to rest. Um, but um, Frodo pushes it. And then where are we to go? Let's have the, let's talk about this now. Let's have this out. We still have our journey and our errand before us. Think about that separation. He lists the two things that they have before them, our journey and our errand. The errand, of course, is the destruction of the ring, right? The, uh, the errand is the delivery of the, of the ring to Mordor. Um, the journey is separate. But Dr. Benway, that's exactly what I think is being emphasized here. Um, not all are going on the errand, right? They are, you could just say that they're sort of sequential things. First, there's the journey, you know, to get from Rivendell to Mordor. And then there's the errand, which is to enter Mordor and, you know, cast the ring into the cracks of doom. Um, so you could say, you know, there's like step one and step two, you know, of this whole thing. And that, that's certainly true. But Dr. Benway, I, I agree that I think that one of the things that we're there, there, not everybody's going on the errand, right? Half of them didn't even sign up for the errand. Um, well, it goes and Gimli didn't sign up for the errand. Aragorn and Boromir didn't sign up for the errand. Um, so at least four out of the five, uh, four out of the five, at least four out of the nine of them, um, four and five is what I was thinking, um, are definitely not, as of the time of their departure from Rivendell, planning to go on the errand. Um, whether or not, you know, Gandalf is himself planning to go is not obvious to me. Um, I think it's possible that Gandalf is not preparing to go. Um, but um, anyway. Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, that's an interesting point. Fourth Dauntless is recalling Gimli's, um, Gimli's debate with Elrond over the swearing of oaths, um, which would seem to imply that Gimli thinks he's signing up for the errand. Uh, perhaps, though, again, it's in the context of that same conversation in which Elrond mentions that they're just joining them, 
until the crossing of the mountains, right? So, um, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. Of course, he also says, Elrond also says that the further they go on the journey, the harder it's going to be to leave, right? So, um, even in the context of that discussion, there is the sense that, uh, you know, you might not necessarily be, uh, you know, your your um, your itinerary might not end at the cracks of doom. You know, your the 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 itinerary that you set out with, but um, it, that may change. You know, that may be subject to change as you go. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's interesting. Aranas suggests Gimli might have been trying to clarify the scope of the contract. It's possible. Um, well, Dan, I wonder. Dan is. Um, uh, Dan says, I think this very comment from Gandalf is an indicator that he does intend to accompany Frodo on his errand. Otherwise, it would be uh, your errand. Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> if he said you're here, it would sound a little cold, wouldn't it? Right? Like, yeah, Frodo, we promised to drop you off in the base, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, greater Mordor area. Right. And then you're pretty much on your own. Like, we don't care. Um, um, we still have our journey and your errand, you know, like better you than me. I, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a, would be a little, uh, uh, <laughs> a little stark, you know, to say it in that way, I think here. Um, but it is not, it's still not clear to me that, so I guess two things. One is his characterization of it as our errand, our journey and our errand. I mean, he's including everybody in that. And I don't think that Gandalf assumes that all nine of them are headed to, I mean, at the very least, everyone's clear. Like, remember, remember ahead to when we get towards Parth Gawain, everyone is like, well, Boromir is obviously not coming. Boromir's going back to Minas Tirith. Everybody knows that, right? Um, so despite the fact that in at least the case of Boromir, and presumably of Aragorn too, Aragorn has like, you know, I shall come to Minas Tirith, right? You know, like he's he's definitely planning to go to Minas Tirith. Um, Minas Tirith is like what it says on, you know, on, on, on Aragorn's boarding pass, right? You know, that's, that's his final destination. That's what, you know, he, he had his luggage sent to Minas Tirith, not to Mordor. So, um, like, clearly, clearly, right? So, and yet Gandalf is embracing all of them in saying our journey and our errands. So I think he's just, I think he's just sort of speaking, um, speaking collectively here, um, characterizing it as our errand because, you know, they're all, they're all a company together, but I don't think that that necessarily, um, uh, I don't think that that necessarily implies that he is either certain or like, de or, or determined or something that he or any of them are necessarily going to be accompanying Frodo. Um, one of the things that makes me wonder what even his intentions are at this point, is our Elrond's words about the weak and the strong, right? Um, Elrond seems to have an insight that Frodo is not just um, 
uh, recently I've come across a number of people. It's funny because this, I mean, I assume the fault of this is the internet. Um, but um, there always seem to be these like trends in uh, questions that I get or questions or observations that I get. Um, I didn't get this question for many years and then I've gotten it a bunch of times in the last couple of years. And that is questions that are some variety of if Sam can carry Frodo while Frodo is bearing the ring and not be affected by it, couldn't they give the ring to like a hamster, carry the hamster in their pocket, and then they'd all be fine carrying the ring to Mordor? Um, like that's um, that's that's I, 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 that sort of question is a question I've gotten many times recently in like the last year, year and a half, two years, um, and I'm not going to address that question right now. What I am going to address, though, is that it I don't think that either Elrond or Gandalf intends to use Frodo that way, if you see what I mean. This is not Frodo is like um, uh, is like the hamster carrying the ring. Gandalf is going to really take the ring to Mordor, right? Frodo's his hamster. Um you know, to kind of make that easier. Uh, I, but it's really, you know, it's really, um, it's really Gandalf's quest. Um, and, and you're right, one more. It would be, if Elrond suggested the plan, it would be a squirrel. In any case, you're completely, you're completely right about that. Um, but, um, um, anyway, I, that's not the point. That's not the point of when, Elrond is saying that he believes this task is appointed for Frodo. I do not at all believe that that is the the, the tenor of his suggestion. Um, that Frodo will make a useful and innocuous carrier for the ring, while the quest is, you know, to be accomplished by Gandalf, right? Or somebody like Gandalf. Um, I take Elrond at his word when he believes that this quest was intended for Frodo. And that, remember, on him only, you know, uh, Fourth Dauntless, back to the oaths thing, on him only is any charge laid, right? Um, Frodo leaves Rivendell with an errand, with a task. Um, and um, not um, uh, not a uh, um, and and nobody else, and he won't agree in that conversation to bind any of them to oaths, even though some of them are ready. Maybe Gimli is ready, if it comes to it, right? Um, to sign up for it. Maybe uh, you got to think Sam's on board. Sam's kind of already agreed to it, right? Well, he certainly agreed to it, um, but. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, Fourth Dauntless. We'll come back to that. Sam's interpretation, and they gave him companions so that the errand might not fail. Certainly true in his case, right? Let's send the ring bearer and the auxiliary backup ring bearer, right? Um, that that is why Elrond does not, in fact, clap Sam in irons, uh, right, for uh, coming into the secret council to which Frodo had been invited and he had not, right? Um, uh, that certainly seems to be uh, Sam's role. Um, however, um, 
uh, yeah, Dan, I, I will embrace that theory. That is that the people asking the hamster question, uh, are the ones that have finally got it through their heads that flying the Eagles to Mordor wouldn't work. Um, I, I, I will embrace that interpretation of the situation because that suggests that there's progress, right? Just as there seems to have been progress on the on the on the the Balrog wing question, uh, rather delightfully over the course of the last ten years. Um, but um, uh, anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I know JJ. Uh, it's it was if not for the fact that he looked like he might be of use, Elrond was like getting the leg irons out right away. Like that's it is very Elrond. Um, um, uh, I'm just quoting Pippin, of course. Um, <laughs> but in any case, in any case, hey, it's not like he'd be the only elf lord with a jail. Uh, I mean, the Elven King's got one. Um, but, um, uh, uh, anyhow, okay. Um, my point is, I don't think that Gandalf assumes that his going would be a good idea. If sending Gorfindel isn't a good idea, sending him might not be a good idea. Into the final step, into Mordor. It is in... Elrond is pretty clear between the end of the council and that uh, conversation before they depart, uh, in which, during which he and Gimli have that discussion. Um, it's pretty clear that um, he, Elrond, sees this as Frodo's errand. That Gandalf doesn't characterize it that way seems to be, I, this sounds to me like a solidarity thing, right? Um <laughs> especially in this context, when Frodo has just asked, and then where are we to go? Right? I mean, I think that what, what Gandalf is doing here is the opposite of saying, I don't know, Frodo, you're the one who's on this quest, right? You're supposed to, like, you know, figure it out, man. Like, you're on your own. Sorry about that. Like, I tried. I tried. Brought you to the pass. Didn't pan out. Uh, you know, I'm headed back. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyhow, um, Gandalf, Gandalf's heavy use of the first person plural in that last paragraph, we still have our journey and our errand before us. We have no choice. Um, his main point there, I think, is not to talk about, you know, he's not doing a head count for the final trip over the mountains into Mordor. They're still way away from there, right? One mountain range at a time. Um, just as Aragorn said, one river at a time, right before. Um, uh, he, um, I think his point is, we're still all in this, right now, we're still all in this together. Um, all of them, 100% of them, have business on the other side of the mountains, right? You know, either accompanying Frodo and or other destinations on the other side of the mountain, but to for, for none of them in the party would going back to Rivendell be a completion of what they set out to do, right, in any sense. Um, so I do think that he is... It sounds, it's almost like the very first thing that Gandalf is assuring Frodo of in response to Frodo's question, and then where are we to go, is 
to take up the Wii that Frodo has just used and well, I was going to say double down on it, but it's really quintuple down on it, I suppose. Um, really emphasize the we. Um, now, he was doing that all along. I'm not saying that this is a new thing, but um, specifically our journey and our errand seem important in that way. Um, okay. Um, let's look at that first paragraph again. This is the um, first paragraph of the new chapter. It was evening, and the gray light was again waning fast when they, had, when they halted for the night. They were very weary. The mountains were veiled in deepening dusk, and the wind was cold. Gandalf spared them one more mouthful each for the Miravor of, Rivend of the Miravor of Rivendell. When they had eaten some food, he called a council. Okay, um, the, the emphasis, the time of day, the waning light, when they halted for the night, interestingly, what Gandalf is going to go on to emphasize is already stated in the first sentence, that they're halting for the night. Um, that by itself already shows the change in policy. I mean, without having, without saying it, it seems pretty clear they're going to go on at first light the next day um, because they continued to go on, you know, now not even on the knees of Garothros, uh, uh, will we pass another night? Um, and um, they, so they go all the way until dark, right? Um, the light was waning fast. They were very weary. Notice how the, the, the sort of the themes and, and uh, metaphors of that first, of those first two sentences are all about things expiring and winding, winding down, right? Uh, you know, when you say it's evening, you could say that in a couple different ways, right? You could say uh, the darkness is increasing or you could say the light is going away, right? Um, he chooses the light is waning fast, and then immediately talks about their own waning energy, right? Uh, their own uh, waning capability of going on. Um, so there seems to be a kind of that strikes a, a certain uh, sort of motif, at least at the beginning of the paragraph, right? We are they are at the end of the line. Um, they are out of stamina. The day, just as the day is out of light. Um, and of course, we're about to hear how they're running out of options, right? Um, the mountains were veiled in deepening dusk. See, now we get the deepening dusk. Um, when we turn back, as it were, to the mountains, it doesn't say that they turn around, right? But we, in our own perspective, are turning around and looking behind them at the mountains that they've just left. And when we do look back at the mountains now... Now we don't have waning light anymore. Now we have deepening dusk. Of course, they're turning away from the sunset, right? They're turning away from the west and towards the east. Um, and they're seeing deepening dusk. The mountains are veiled. Um, again, where were we seeing... Where were we seeing the word veiled uh, before? I know we got shrouded earlier on um, with the snow. The snow was shrouding everything uh, like a corpse, 
when they woke up. Um, did we have, uh, was the snow veiling things as well? I don't remember veiled. It might be. It's kind of ringing a bell, but I don't recall it exactly. Um, the mountains were veiled in deepening dusk. I'm not sure the, the significance of that metaphor, using the veil metaphor of the mountains here, the relationship between the mountains and the dusk. Um, veiled means covered, concealed, right? Um, it doesn't have the uh, sort of specific associations of a word like shrouded, which is a very similar word to veiled, right? Um, I mean, shroud and veil are almost synonyms, just the context is different. Um, uh, yeah, evoking funeral or wedding imagery, Amarea, a little bit, yeah. Um, okay, the snow just before... Could somebody quote me the line, the sentence in which the word veiled was used at the end of the last paragraph? Like I said, I, I kind of remembered it, but I don't. I can't come up with it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting, JJ. You're right. That's a very prominent use of the word veil. Let folly be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, yes, for, for their enemy is very wise. Um, The mountains are are covered in darkness. And it is. Arnas, so Arnas, Arnas is pointing out that um, the sun has to already be set for the mountains if they're dimming behind them. It is true that earlier on, when we first were talking about Karathra, seeing it from a distance, right, when Gimli spoke his piece before, um, we had the sun, the setting sun lingering on the side of the red horn, Karathras, right, making it red, um, when the sun was already down in, you know, the, the, the lowlands would already be dark and Karathras would still have sun on it, right? So it is a little bit countering, what it tells you is that the sun isn't out, right? And we know that, um, uh, remember, Legolas has already told us that he failed to fetch the sun. Um, the sun has not, uh, the sun did not show her face today. Uh, according to Legolas's prophecies, as is clear from the fact that the mountains are in, veiled in dusk rather than still glowing red with the with the light of the of the setting sun here. Um, Mudmore, I like that observation. Deepening dusk. Um, he's thinking about foreshadowing uh, the um, the deep the deep mines. Um, Yes, there is a little bit of foreshadowing here, isn't it, right? I mean, especially, remember, we've just gotten the title of the chapter, A Journey in the Dark, right? So we know they're going to be entering darkness. Um, and the combination of the word deepening, right, with dusk is a little bit, um, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, all right, good, yeah, yeah, it was shrouded. Okay, so we didn't get veiled. Exactly in the in the previous chapter. Okay, okay, good to good to know. Um, so yes, this there is I think some uh, some 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 foreshadowing there. Um, 
one way in which I think also just again that metaphor of of being veiled. Um, they can't see Karathras anymore. Like there's, you know, the sort of the curtain has been drawn between them and the mountains. It's um, they're safe from Karathras, but also they are. Um, he is sort of wrapped himself. He's wrapped himself in cloud. Um, he is still lurking there, um, but he is now out of sight. But that wind, there's still that wind. Remember, it's the east wind that was following them, following them, following them down the mountain, like the breath of Karathras itself, um, the breath of the east wind. And it's still blowing. It's still cold. They can't see him anymore, but they can still feel him, right? He's still literally breathing down their necks there. Um, that Gandalf gives them the Miravor here, I think is kind of interesting. Um, he spared them one more mouthful each of the Miravor of Rivendell. Remember, that was his let's not freeze to death solution <laughs> up in the mountain, right? On the pass when they were um, uh, being snowed in and Boromir was very politely suggesting that maybe somebody in charge should do something. Um he gave them the Miravor of Rivendell, which seemed to have a physically stimulating effect on them, but also a spiritually stimulating effect on them. They've escaped now. They're getting ready to be tucked up in, uh, you know, asleep here uh, for the night. They're about to rest. They are not, they're very weary, right? But they're done. They're camping. They're going to get to sleep. But Gandalf still seems to want them prepared. I wonder if it's in preparation for the council that he gives them the Miravor of Rivendell. The kind of effect on their spirits that he described before, um, perhaps, is um, uh, is what he's kind of going for here. Um, I that's my theory here. Um, I do think that they are extremely tired, Aspen, but apparently he feels it necessary to talk about things, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, good. Hey, let's start the next slide. Why not? Because, you know, I'm all about rapidity of motion. Pippin's face brightened visibly at the mere mention of return to Rivendell. Merry and Sam looked up hopefully, but Aragorn and Boromir made no sign. Frodo looked troubled. Okay, let's look at the immediate um, crowd reaction to the suggestion to go to Rivendell. Pippin's all about it. Merry and Sam, Pippin and Merry and Sam all of them are excited about the idea of going back to Rivendell. Aragorn and Boromir made no sign. Legolas and Gimli don't get a vote. Um, we hear nothing about what Legolas and Gimli think about this. Um, I... 
Pippin is our poster child for the pro return to Rivendell um, camp, right? I think it's noteworthy that even Sam is in it. Pippin and Mary wanted to go with Frodo. They insisted on going with Frodo. It was Pippin who said that he would have to be clapped in irons uh, in order to be prevented from following the company. That was how enthusiastic he was about going on this journey. Um, that the journey might end with a return to Rivendell is clearly the best case scenario, right? Um, and yeah, Amareya, that's exactly my question here. Um, to what extent does this suggest that Pippin is still in, um, that Pippin is still in, in, um, Hobbit walking party mode, right? Um, does he get it yet? Remember that gap that we noticed way back in chapter five of book one, um, when he sings his song that he's helped to compose the, we must away our break of day, uh, redux song, right? And then he, um, Frodo takes him literally, right? Well, there's much to do if we're going to leave by break of day. And Pippin says, oh, that was poetry. Right. He, you know, he, he thinks he's in a song. He's excited to be part of a song, you know, on a, an exciting journey off on an adventure like, uh, like old Bilbo used to speak of, but not really, you know, not really getting it, not really processing it, not really in a sense, believing in it. Um, I wonder to what extent he, again, it's not that his desire to stick with Frodo isn't sincere, but again, should Frodo be forced to return back from this errand? Well, win-win, right? Um, Mary and Sam are hopeful, right? Mary and Sam look up hopefully that I suspect they're looking up omdearfully, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Emily, I, I agree. There is some uh, some reason to believe that even at Parth Gowan, uh, Pippin's not taking the thought of going to Mordor completely seriously. Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah. Now, so this is not to necess This is not to say that all of them are like those who are happy about the idea of going back to Rivendell um, are giving up on the quest or, you know, just saying like, well, we tried, you know, never mind, no big deal. Let's go home. Um, at the very least, they might be thinking, okay, so uh, Christmas Day might have been a terrible day to set off on this journey, right? Could we just wait till spring? Like, would that do anybody any harm? Um, of course, the answer is yes, it would do people harm, right? But um, but perhaps they don't really know that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I also agree to, to Juice Man. I think it's very possible that this is simply, especially with Mary and Sam, I think, um, simply a... I mean, it's hard um, to 
it would hard to be it would be hard not to be cheered up at least a little bit. Um, somebody's putting that on the t- so like, is that seriously an option? Like we have two choices and one of them is to go back to Rivendell. Is this a trick question? Right. Of course, it would be good to go back to Rivendell. Um, uh, yeah, and has to be like you know you're sitting there. You just about died of hypothermia. You've not slept um, since you almost died of hyperthermia, right? Um, hypothermia, not hyperthermia. That's quite different. Um, and um, uh, and somebody says, would you like to go back where it's very warm and comfortable? Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's going to sound attractive. There's no question. Um, uh, Aragorn and Boromir don't make any sign. And I do agree this suggests to me from both of them that they have this is they do not consider this an option not for them if they did and i absolutely agree with the people who were saying um uh that if they um if they were to decide to go back to rivendell right if that in fact was the outcome of this council aragorn and boromir would go on i agree there is no Boromir is not going back to Rivendell. No way. Right? Absolutely impossible. Um, he's got to return to his people. He's the general of the army for crying out loud, right? He's got to get back. Um, and Aragorn has made a promise. Aragorn has said that he's gonna to come to Minas Tirith. He believes that he has been called, that the message of the dream was a summons, right? They're 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 going on. One way or another, they're going on. Um now, of course, their options will be a little bit more flexible if the two of them are traveling on their own. If the two of them are traveling on their own, I assume they're headed straight south to the Gap of Rohan at this point, right? Um, uh, so, anyway, this, I think, is why we see Aragorn and Boromir remaining neutral. It's almost like they don't have a, like, they don't have a horse in this race, you know, because, like, if the choice is between going on and going back to Rivendell, I'm not even going to vote because uh, that's not even my choice. Uh, like that—that That is not a choice that is open to me. So y'all can do what you want. If the hobbits want to go back to Rivendell, probably a good idea. But um, uh, but we're certainly not. Now, again, the question of what comes of the ring and the bearer is a different question. Um, but... Um, Bjarnas Honor is suggesting it might possibly be awkward to have just Aragorn and Boromir together for months on end. Possibly, I don't know. I mean, i I could see, uh, I could see a pretty fun Aragorn Boromir bromance actually um, coming from that. Uh, I, exactly, an interesting buddy cop movie. For Thomas, I, I agree. I, you get a whole season of good television about the journey of Aragorn and Boromir from you know the Red Horn Gate through the Gap of Rohan and down to Minas Tirith. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, uh, I think that would work. Um, uh, but um, anyway, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, I think that'd be just fine. Um, and again, Legolas and Gimli get no vote. Frodo looks troubled, and his response, I wish I was back there, but how can I return without shame, unless there is indeed no other way, and we are already defeated? Frodo is the one who connects return to Rivendell with defeat. This is not just a 
you know, we made a good faith effort, but let's postpone this until better weather, right? Um, how can I return without shame? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Gildalowin, my ear also expects the subjunctive here. I wish I were back there. Um, is certainly what it sounds like it should say. I don't understand what the subjunct the use the conventions for the use of the subjunctive are in English usage at this time. That is to say, at in England, in the UK uh, at this time. Um, I that sentence has always triggered me to wonder what the answer to that question is, but I've never, I've never understood it. Um, but a supposition contrary to fact like this is precisely when the subjunctive is used. I don't even know if that is, it may well be that there is, I mean, look, it also sounds weird to me, to my American ears, uh, when the when British people use plural verbs with collective nouns, um, so I, I again is it just convention? Is it just like a local convention in that way? Do they not use the subjunctive in the same way? Sorry, collective nouns like uh, the crowd are going wild, for instance, uh, is what they would say in England. Um, uh, but um, anyway, yeah, um, that, and that sounds super weird to me uh, in, uh, you know, like the, the, uh, the team are taking the field. Uh, I, I just I can't I can't even. Um, uh, but again, that's just that's just different conventions. Right. Is, is that what's happening here? Is Frodo speaking properly according to just a different set of conventions um, for that time and place of English usage? Or is Tolkien intending Frodo to use a non-standard usage here? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway. No, Aranas, that wouldn't fix it to add a silent of at the end, like a crowd of people or team of players. No, because team and crowd singular nouns are still the subject of the verb. Um, I mean, to make it, it's weird. I'm sorry. It's weird. It's fun. I kind of like it, but it's weird. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's still, it's still weird. <laughs> um, uh, uh, anyhow, um, <laughs> Dennis is feeling targeted. <laughs> hey, you know, like I, I, um, <laughs> it all sounds good to you in Canadian Aspen. There we go. I don't know. Anyway, so like I said, I don't know if is this meant to be a sort of a dialectical thing. Um, Frodo does not speak with a pronounced dialect. Not like Sam. Um, uh, Sam will sometimes use sort of sloppy grammar or syntax, right? Which is sort of an indication of his uh, of his of his local rural and lower class dialect. Um, Frodo does not 
generally often. Um, but yeah, again, my problem is that I really don't know whether th this does jump out at me. Is it supposed to, or is that just me? I, I really don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't know enough about um, not just how to use the, the subjunctive properly in English, but the history of the use of uh, the subjunctive in English. Um, I've the thing to do would be to go through other look at how the subjunctive is used in other works of Tolkien, in works of Lewis, Charles Williams, other just like people writing right around there and then, and see if from that we can build a clear sense of how the subjunctive was being used. That's, I think, how you'd, that's the way to answer this question. I just haven't, um, um, haven't, haven't done that. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, that's a side uh, note, but I, I wanted to acknowledge that comment because literally every time I read or hear this sentence, I think that, um, Okay, we'll come back to this. We're running out of time. Um, we will start again here in the in the middle of this and then look at Gandalf's response to that. Um, but had a little time, so I wanted to look at the initial reactions uh, to returning to um, uh, to Rivendell. Um, okay. Um, all right. Um, so, Nancy, I wouldn't even trust, though, so Dan, you're going to make you feel targeted again. I wouldn't even trust a modern England, a modern person from the UK, because again, what matters is not what they do now, but what they would have been doing, you know, a hundred years ago, or you know, eighty years ago, uh, and that may have changed, uh, possibly, you know, in the last eighty years, even in the UK. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> All right. Um, you're right, Vardendil. Gandalf is going to do it again in the next paragraph. There it is on the very page we're looking at. Um, the power and terror they would possess if the ruling ring was on their master's hand again. Exactly the same. Not the same, it doesn't actually use the word wish. Um, but um, that also is one that makes me sense. I, I think it, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he has rejected the usage of the subjunctive in both cases all the way through. Um, I agree, Gildalowin, that if it's a little more flexible than I wish I... Um, you know, the classic um, Homeward Bound by Simon and Garfunkel usage, right? Um, where they fail to use the subjunctive and, you know, I wish I were Homeward Bound. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. It is more flexible there. Um, but, um, yep, yep. So, Tolkien is avoiding using the subjunctive. Is that because that was just normal for them? Or is there something strange? Or is there a particular choice that he's making for a particular reason? That's what I... I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, 
thank you everybody we're it's a uh, field trip time um they are all very tired mudmore right perhaps that's it perhaps the lack of the usage of the subjunctive is just to try to bring home to us exactly how weary frodo and gandalf are right they're so weary they're forgetting to use the subjunctive yeah that i like that reading mudmore that makes a lot of sense to me um yeah yeah um <laughs> okay anyway awesome thanks everybody uh so it is field trip time uh Valori couldn't make it tonight um uh but we're gonna we're gonna continue for those of you who uh can join us we're gonna head back to um Cardolan for uh those who uh can't join us thank you thank you for joining us and um I will We'll look forward to I should be back again next week, coming home from Toronto. So so thanks, folks. And I'm getting um, getting things set up here, having my traditional issues with resizing my screen. And I'll be right back in in a moment here. The rage. I'll be waiting for you. Excellent. Thank you, Druid Spy. How are you this evening? I'm just peachy. All right. See, Rotor has picked up the recently expired limited edition Homesteads bundle, which is the highest tier grants you a loot emote. Oh, a lute emote? What, like you, you play the air lute? No, it actually plays music while you're dancing with a lute. You'll see it when you log back in. It's, it's really cool. Oh, I see. I see. I, I'm always going to think of Chris Pine when I see that emote, I'm just saying. <laughs> Though, I don't know. I, I kind of think an, I think an air lute emote might be even cooler. Probably but, um, would. Oh, I see. So that's the, with the actual lute there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. I think we got just about everybody here. Yep. Okay. All right. So we are headed down to Scurlock Farm again in Cardolan. Back to the boonies. That's it. Back to the wilds in the northwest of Cardolan where we were... Uh, and stop me if you've heard this before, looking at ruins. But we had begun our exploration thinking about what was going on here in this area. What can we, what can we piece together of the history of Cardolan in general and of this part of Cardolan in particular? Um, and I want to go back through that hidden or at least maybe not hidden, but at least unexpected sort of cavern that we ended up in, the tomb that we found. Um, sorry, I have this. With a seriously wide back entrance, too. Yes, seriously wide back entrance. Okay, so here we have um, that first ruin, which is definitely an old Arnorian ruin, and then up on the hilltop, not the one with the modern windmill, um, but we found this other tower, which we were thinking was probably 
second epoch during the Cardolan epoch, uh, post Arnorian civil wars. And then of course we ended up in this ruin up here, which is named something that I forget. It's called Howth Nirui. There we are. Um, and this looked definitely like a Cardolan site. And there were a bunch of weird things about it. Um, yeah, those those asymmetrical coffins are still messing with my head. I'm not going to lie. Me too. Like, I, I don't, I've never seen anything like that um, in any, we've looked at burial sites, ancient and modern, of many different peoples in many different lands mm -hmm. around Lotro in the context of our journeys, and I have never seen the like. So, um, this was obviously, I say obviously, right, um, a because the huge Cardolan Towers. Um, uh, so we have this uh, uh, big sort of fancy front entrance. This was seems clearly to have been a mausoleum that was built um, in the time of the Cardolingians. Um, yes, how this funeral mound, exactly. Exactly. Or mausoleum, in this case. Um, it's only metaphorically a howth, of course, right? Um, not actually a mound. So I'm just peeking around here again. We've got these, uh, sort of, these are the, these are the reach-in crypts here, right? Mm -hmm. We've got the, uh, the, you know, the lie-in crypts over here. The little kingly tombs in the middle. And then the bizarro, um... I'm uh, wondering if is it the corpses placed on its side or something with the knees bent? See, but again, they're twelve or, feet um, long, right? Like I don't get it. That's also weird. I, I, it's, yeah, they are way, way too big. Um, I mean, they're even taller than Elendil is in the municipal content. So exactly, there can be no excuse made there. So yeah, I don't, I don't get it don't get it um uh i mean unless you're bundling like three or four folks into this you know unless it's like a family uh, sarcophagus which is just weird um family that dies together to co decomposes together i i don't know i mean room Break for leg? stuff maybe room for stuff i mean uh, you could but even i mean like look even one of um I don't need to be on my horse indoors, I suppose. Even one of these tombs, right? Like this one here. Has plenty of room. Above, below, and like on every side of you. Like you could you could lie in this kids. puppy and you could have stuff lying this it's wide enough to have stuff lying on either side of you, lying on top of you, up above, down below, right? I mean there's plenty of room for stuff storage. If you want to, you want to send somebody fully equipped, fully equipped into the afterlife, you know, this box will do you, right? You don't need a box 12 feet long. And it's literally, it's literally twice my height. I mean, it's at least 12 feet long. Um, mm -hmm. See, I think the size is not tripping up so much as the actual shape, quite frankly. Because size you can always fill 
fill stuff in with you stuff know, with grave yeah. goods and whatnot. But the shape is like is is the is the body you know on its side with its knees bent up and it's got a lot of stuff at the feet and a lot of stuff at the head. Um, but I it seemed to me like the the short end of the angle is the head. You know, kind of like a normal coffin would You'd be. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Especially the way the steps are oriented towards the feet. And then you'd be looking up at the face, for example. Right. But the shape makes no sense. I mean, look at that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a three-person coffin. It's like a five-person coffin. I was being kind. Right. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm almost, I could almost lie sideways across the, the wide part. Um. Yeah, well, a hobbit could. Yeah. Now, I want to come back to, sorry, <laughs> JJ's question. Ask your mortician if Gigantitum is right for you. Um, but uh, Ar Arnold's point, um, didn't the kings of old kill themselves in their folly? Could they have done the same with their family? That's a really interesting question, or even their horses, right? Um, uh that's a really fascinating question. Could this be... Now, of course, in his own kind of attempt to emulate the, um, you know, the burial rites of the heathen kings, as Denethor says, uh, he's burning himself in a funeral pyre, right? So no gigantic sarcophagus seemed to have been involved in that. But who knows? Maybe his, you know, anthropology is outdated. Um, Denethor's, I mean. Um, huh. Roanor. You're right. What on earth are these tables with loose bones sitting on them? Yeah, I'd seen them uh, last week. I was like, what? They're definitely did not, not the same construction at all. at all. I thought you had seen them, actually. But... They, they look cruder, maybe a heathen sort of uh, reaction. Well, and they've... Look at the bones! Um, including a... Is that like a sharpened bone? Like a dagger? Weird. A bone dagger? Weird. And I thought at first... They're are the writing. edges of this table chipped? Or are they carved? It, they look more crudely carved. That's why I would have thought like a heathen sort of thing. Um, yeah. Like com comparing to like Denethor was talking about, you know, the, the heathen kings of old and therefore their stuff would be more crude. It's, this is definitely not crafted so much as clunked together and just slapped down there. Yeah. Now, I know that goblins are like shacking up here. I mean, this is what this tent is that I'm pointedly ignoring as we're looking around. Um, so it's possible the bones are goblin related. Possible. Um, but I very much doubt that the goblins, you know, imported these tables, especially since, I mean, look, there's eight of them. There's four on either side. They and, and don't really too, fit with the decor. And the two well but, oriented They're They're, you know, I think orcs or goblins would just toss them around willy nilly. Like yeah, I, exactly. Mayhem. Exactly. Like, it, mayhems this yeah, do we really think... Th I mean, 
goblins might come in based on our experience with goblins and goblin decorative schemes. They might come in and say, you know what this place needs? Skulls. More skulls, maybe a pelvis fire, right? Like that kind of, that's the kind of thing that we see goblins doing in their, in their own approach to decorations. Um, but it's very difficult for me to imagine goblins coming into this tomb, set, making it their home base and saying, you know what this place needs? Uh, like eight obsidian tables symmetrically arranged in the gaps between the pillars. That's just, that would spruce this place up no end. I'm just or, wondering if they were placed at an, a super late time after the kingdom had already fallen and they didn't really have the craftsmanship to do the good stuff anymore. Perhaps. In which case, what were the tables used for? Because they're clearly not tombs unless, like, those are sarcophagi for super skinny people. Um, sacrificial tables. Yeah, they look more like sacrificial tables, but like eight of them? What, what, well, I mean, what, what, what do they have a sacrificial water. assembly line in here? Well, you know, it depends on how many prisoners you took. I guess. Or, um, again, coming back to Arnold's comment, um, is there, um, I mean, the idea of animals or people being sacrificed in the in the burial of with along with the burial of the dead, right? Um, or maybe they're the servants sacrificing tables because you don't waste the good china on your servants. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, I was also thinking of like you know, the a, a rich dude dies and they, you know, sacrifice. They like they kill all of his slaves along with him to you know. To, right, you don't you don't give yeah. him a good sacrificing table. You're not gonna waste the, the money on that. Right, right. Emily, I do agree that I would expect a little more blood if it were sacrificial. I mean, even though, I mean, it'd be very, very old blood at this point. Um, I mean, I don't think after a thousand years it would still be visible. But um, but still, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, there are still bones lying around. That is creepy and weird. Let's go downstairs and see if, the, do, do we get any of those downstairs? I think there are, if I recall correctly. I completely missed those last week. I'm glad we came back. I was kind of in a rush mm -hmm. because we discovered this like when it was already time to go, and I was like, "Oh man, there are three levels." Um, no, I'm not seeing. No, them, there aren't. I lied. Just the middle level. Here we've got the reach-ins. We've got the um, wooden. Because I think is is are those things we spent so long looking at. These are stone, right? Yes, they're stone. Okay. Yeah, they look definitely look like stone or maybe some kind of From a distance. Metal. The texture is so different that I was like, are those made of wood? But um Okay. No, if they were wood they would have they would have definitely decomposed much more than that. Yeah. No, oh, I right. think I would have. You're right. I don't know. I don't definitely know. Definitely a different the... style though. Yeah. Oh it is. It's very different style. Um, many, many different generations. And now I'm all progress. like wanting to do, to go back and do a more like uh, longitudinal study on upward versus downward pointing stars. Um, you know, is that definitely a Cardolan versus Arthodyne thing? 
Is that consistently a Cardolan versus Arthodyne thing? Um, yeah. Um, where? Do, what are the stars like in Rudar? Up or down? Well, the stars are definitely not too strange. No, that's what I'm wondering. How strange are these stars? Is precisely my question. Um, yeah. Well, I want to. I want to go back and look at a couple things here. Uh oh, I'm lagging. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's head back out. We'll we'll keep having uh, refreshed our memories and noticed some things that I hadn't noticed before. We now go through this obviously not original burrowing through the rock in the back. Though this is a lot of solid rock to burrow through. Um, One interesting point is that uh, whoever knocked down this wall did so from the outside in. Yes. Yep. No, I th I'm pretty sure I agree. Oh, you mean in the wall on the inside there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I looked at the debris, and it was definitely as if it were pushed inward. Pushed into the, the room. Outside. Yep, totally agree. Totally agree. Yep, so, um, and right, we do see, Emmethorn, you're right, that the place was full of goblin sappers, right? Which is fairly suggestive. Um, okay, so from here, where are we looking? We're looking, oh, it's, um, let's head out now. There's a set of ruins on the horizon that we didn't get it. Oh yeah. This is what I was look, looking at down the hill. So now we are headed back. Uh, okay. We're headed back West going North of Skurlock farm. All right. I'm going to, I'll head back around the other way, but I'm pretty sure I remember where we are. Like up on the hill up there is where the thing was, which means the tower is that way okay gotcha got just trying to keep my orientation on the other ruins that we saw um from so a distance before we even get there this looks certainly like a first epic old arnorian set because of mm -hmm. how extremely deteriorated it is but let's see hang on a second oh around the back of that there may be a um a tower of cardolan that's looking like it could have a Tower of Cardolan on it. Let's see what we see. Around the back. And, uh... No! Yes! Denied! Or well, no? Well, it's kind of. I mean, it looks like they carved a, an opening or... A, it looks like they cut it out! Yeah! Yeah, a huge... Tower of Cardolan, but it's the expurgated version. Maybe somebody didn't like the tower and they decided to, you know, deface it and put in their own thing. But why Maybe would you deface weird. it by just cutting a big old hole and then framing the hole? I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> that is weird. But it does and... look like the, the bigger, the arch with, you know, the, the double arches... Actually, a different construction than the hinge that it's sitting on. Right. Perhaps. The upper window frames look like they match. Hmm. Um, I think perhaps a statue, maybe a statue was here. 
Arnola is suggesting that um, this gap down here like looks like it was cut out so that this wasn't necessarily just open. Um, Maybe like a stairway of some kind. Oh, that like right where I'm standing right now, there could have been a stairway leading up and that was a door. Right. But it's also possible that that was like a big old statue. And this was like under here, there was always a, an entryway or something under here. I mean, this is such a grandiose um, configuration here. You know, this whole like the whole huge arch with the giant stars and. Yeah, I was looking at the base pointing. of this cutout arch and, you know, the rock. It mm -hmm. looked like there was definitely some difference of what it was around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. But I, I, that's definitely the top of the tower. That's not the... Because it's got the four the four pointy bits. Um, the um, Scepter of Enuminous only has three pointy bits. When we see it well, carved onto walls. Mostly in Arthodyne. Okay. Looks like all of the stars I'm seeing are pointing up around yep. here. These are all upward pointing stars. Agreed. Weird. Now, I hear what you were saying before that the um, the sort of well, it's not exactly a hinge, more of a sort of an arcade along the bottom, or the colonnade, right? That the yes, that bottom larger bit. tower is set on is. Um, could well be old Arnorian, and then in Cardolan they added the big bit before whatever else happened to it. That could be an add-on. Different kinds. Yes, yes, it does. It does. And if you look at the difference between these columns, like again the columns that are not only all the way around over there, but down along the ground here, uh, mm -hmm. underneath the rest of it, and then you look at the. Um, the stone of that tower over there, which looks very much like a, um, a Cardolan era thing there. It does. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Elmore, I had noticed that as well. Stars on the inside of the lower bit of the arcade here also pointing up. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. These are all upward pointing stars. Even yes, even the angled ones there. Yep. All of them are. And we have the Oyolaire there around the edge. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Well. So I'm really it, seeing a, an overall shape of what this was, though. That's what I was trying to figure, too. Down here, this looks like an outdoor patio, doesn't it? We've it got does, the yeah. we've got the big old gazebo floor, which is a frequent, you know, kind of patio uh, uh, layout. No actual walls. Well, look at the top of the colonnade, the surviving mm -hmm. top arches. That looks like a finished top. I don't think it had anything sitting on top yeah. of it I agree. because of the peak on it there. Um, Yes. Other than the arch in the back way. And so it looks like maybe there was like one big central um, thing with like a dome of some kind, or at least. It's some... possible. And the rest it's of it was possible. open to the air. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. some nice fabric uh, draperies somewhere. Possibly. 
maybe maybe glazing even for all we know mm. um yeah then this was clearly built up higher so we had a a tower um yeah i agree rowan that the floor circle doesn't really fit like not only is it not the right size it's not in the right place it's like way off center And there's That's definitely weird. not room for a second one either. No. No. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the dance floor, and you have the the DJ and the and the buffet tables on you know around on the other side. I, I don't really know. That would actually make sense. Maybe in a, an orchestra pit in the corner. There you go, orchestra pit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, the McDonald's Playland, Double Down Lily. Right, the playland, yep, exactly, or the um, yeah, the kids' playroom. Well, that could have been over there, right? The sort of the quieting room. Yep. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give the kids the big fancy archway. <laughs> Nancy suggesting the, it's it, it, it could be a construction school. The undergrads did the floor. I'm thinking they borrowed uh, the ancestors of the dwarven architects and foremen from uh, Cindergrat. No, oh, the, where the bridges yeah. don't quite meet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they mm -hmm. borrowed their ancestors. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So the avant-garde. Uh, let's have it not quite work out. Uh, school of, school of thought. Um, with it the is human true. Catriona wants to, uh, um, to charitably note that it could have slid downhill over the centuries because it's not quite flat here. That or is Twitch chat. Uh, somebody saying the tall coffin people apparently spent time down here. Right, right. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Um, okay. Well, look at this. We got a little play area next to the tower up here on the hill too. We're going north now. Yes, we are headed north towards, but not yet into the Lone Lands. I'm I'm still digging the fact that you can go to everywhere in these new before the shadow areas. Yeah. With only one portal, and we know that's because they're eventually going to put something there. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. Overland. It's pretty cool. Um. Uh. Okay. Actually, hang on. So I just want I want to stop here looking around. There's the tomb up on the hill, right? Is that the mm -hmm. tomb? Back end that of the, is tomb? the tomb. That's the back end of the tomb. And then you've got this, uh, you know, the uh, party hall down here. Got that tower up there. And we've got this other tower over here. So these two towers match. Okay. There was a lot of activity here. This wasn't yes, a city, sir. but it's not like you know, out in the western parts, out near Sarn Ford, where we just got oh. the, like, you know, occasional hunting lodge, right? And then nothing other than that one huge tower place, right? Just very occasional stuff until we got to Herna. Um, and then, of course, we had all of that burial ground. Yeah, I agree uh, with Rowan. Country Estate sounds like uh, a good possibility here. I mean, they're not close enough together to be, like, urban, far enough from each other to, you know, 
That way you have your own bit of lawn there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little and a function center down here for family gatherings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a, a picnic area. Yeah. This whole valley, Nancy, you're right. This could be, this, this, this could have been vineyard area. This could have been, um, but yeah, nowhere do we have, what we've not seen yet here is a real, like, place where people live, right? Yeah, no, um, no actual habitations, no, no, no farmland other than the modern farms. Right now, of course, it's quite possible that the farms would not leave these same kinds of ruins. This place could have been dotted mm -hmm. with like wooden farm structures and things, which would have not survive at all or leave any trace. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. Um, of course, we're talking thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. <clears throat> Only the largest stone structures are leaving any remnants here at all. Yeah, because we have to uh, remember the Third Age was 3,000 years. Yeah, exactly. From when the Numerians rolled in and, and stomped Sauron partially. Yeah, so but and we're still talking about the better part of two millennia since this stuff would have mm -hmm. been set up. Um, and the old Arnorian stuff would be, you know, older than it would be closer to three. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Rowan, I think that that seems to me right. That uh, what we have are either civic structures or things belonging to the very wealthy. Yep, that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, um, I am going to stop myself from riding all the way up the hill because then I'm going to want to see what's on the <laughs> other side of the hill and then I'm going to be officially and thoroughly distracted. So, um, and it's and getting late. And you know Lori wants to be here for that one too. Exactly. So let's uh, let's wait uh, to you know peek back over into the Lone Lands again, which I definitely want to do. And then we will continue. We went to the Lone Lands up here by the road up there, so we'll continue uh, working around clockwise around Skurlock Farm here uh, until we have. Uh, come back to Karanost and then we'll head down towards Tharbad. So that still remains the plan as we continue moving forward. Thanks everybody for plan. joining us tonight. Uh, this was, as always, a lot of fun trying to uh, trying to uh, look through and figure this stuff out, piece together the history of Cardolan from, uh, that, they're, uh, that they're building in their adaptation here. Um, always a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me, Druid's Fire. Appreciate your stepping in. Valori's not feeling well again today. I'm looking forward to having her back. She has much more better insights into a lot of the stuff than I do. <laughs> no, it's always fun having you with me as well. All right. Thanks, everybody. Good night now. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.